Hi there and welcome to Inside Rugby League, the podcast brought to you by the Yorkshire Evening Post. I'm Richard Byram and joining me again on the line this week is my colleague Peter Smith. Peter's the Yorkshire Evening Post Chief Rugby League Writer and although the game hasn't resumed yet, it's a step nearer to doing so than it was this time last week, Pete. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose it is. It doesn't really feel like it, does no. it? We're, um, we're into the three months um, since anyone played, yep. nearly. It will be on um, on the 15th. The last time any rugby was played was um, in this country was March the 15th, and we're in June now, so it's, it's dragging on. I think everybody's had enough now. We all want to know what the situation is, when the sport is going to be back, what level it's going to be back at and what it's going to look like when it is back. Um, we have stayed, taken, I suppose, some small steps towards that over the last week or so. Everybody knows that the target date for Super League's next full round to be played is August the 16th. That's still not officially confirmed yet, but that's what everybody's working towards. We don't know when players are going to be allowed to train yet. I suspect it won't be for most clubs until the end of July, because that's when um, players have been furloughed until. And then when we get back, we don't know whether there'll be promotion and relegation, whether the championship will also resume, whether there'll be new rules in place if matches are going to be played in front of crowds or behind closed doors, where they're going to be played. So there's a lot still to um, a lot still to be decided. There is. And that point you made there about the furloughing is something I was wondering to myself earlier in the week. It's, it's again, one of these conundrums for somebody to sort out. Uh, the fact that they've got to bring the players off furlough, but how, how long can they afford to pay them to train in effect before they start playing games, but you'd assume they'll need some kind of contact training and conditioning before going into a game. And well, that's the, sorry, Rich, that, that's exactly right. The, yeah. There was some confusion over that because of a report in one of the national papers a couple of weekends ago, which said that rugby union clubs have been told that they could come off, for, well, they could stay on furlough, sorry, stay on furlough, but train as a group. Yeah. Um, spoke to the RFL and, who were surprised to hear that, and um, HMRC, which deals with the government department that deals with furlough, and they've said that's not the case. If um, if clubs train, then they're going to be considered to have come off the furlough. Yes. So, like you say, it, it's not going to give clubs much breathing space um, and much time for a, a pre-season. Some clubs are going to have to probably come off furlough earlier than others because teams with games in hand will start earlier. I think the idea is for Super League Round 8 to be played on August the 16th. Um, Leeds have two games in hand, Catalans have three games in hand, Wakey have a couple of games in hand. Yeah. Those teams are going to have to play them at the start of August. So you'd think they're going to have to come off, off furlough earlier, maybe mid-July, perhaps with the others coming off at the end of July. But yeah, it'll, it'll mean for two um, for two weeks at least, uh, players will be getting paid without um, any income coming in. Having said that, if, if the sport restarts behind, behind closed doors, there's not really, really going to be any income coming in anyway. 
So um, that's the conundrum. It's a it's a financial problem. What Super League and and rugby league as a whole is desperate to do is fulfil the terms of the Sky contract. Um, that's why they're so desperate to get the season back on track. Yeah. Um, as uh, as I reported a while ago in the Evening Post, the idea is that certainly the first few rounds of matches will be played behind closed doors. I mean, obviously that could change, but at the moment it doesn't look like the situation's going to going to improve enough for crowds to be allowed into stadiums from August. So the idea is to cut costs. A limited number of venues will be um, will be used. I've reported that Headingley is one that's been considered for obvious reasons. It's it's a new stadium, effectively. It's got lots of areas where where players and um, staff could uh, get well. There are a, a number of changing facilities. I think there's four sets of dressing rooms, and there are other areas that can be used as as changing rooms. And there are lots of meeting rooms and um, corporate areas where teams could isolate before matches away from um, away from anyone else. And obviously, it's a it's a secure venue as well, be, with being a new venue. So I think, and crucially, it's uh, owned by a rugby league club. Yes, I think that will be one of the ones that's used. On the other side of the Pennines, what I've heard is that Warrington and Saints are um, being looked at for similar um, for similar reasons. It'll be interesting to see whether Rhinos will be allowed to sort of play away games at home, so to speak. During the um, during that period, I can't really see that it gives them that much of an advantage playing at Headingley if there's no crowd in there. No, but some other clubs will will disagree. Obviously, they, they wouldn't have to worry about travel or anything. But um, it'll be interesting to see what clubs make of that. The, the coaches I've spoken to have basically said, "Well, we'll play wherever we have to, just to um, to get the sport back up and running." So. I think that is um, that's likely to be what what happens. We'll have maybe two or three even games on a day, um, possibly all televised by Sky, like a sort of um, mini magic weekend, but without the crowds. That will keep the costs down. It'll help keep players and um, people who have to be in the ground secure and safe as well. Um, it's not ideal, is it? But I think it's a it's a workable solution making the best of what's a, a difficult situation. It is, yes. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with all of that you've said there and also the fact that maybe the RFL will have to have some kind of central fund where you know teams can maybe draw on it to help with the training process before they actually get back to playing games because you'd assume at least once they start playing games, although they're not going to get any money from spectators, then maybe some more, I don't know, how the Sky deal works. Do they get the money up front for that or does it come in over the course of the season? Or... It's paid, yeah, it's paid in, in instalments, yeah. I believe, at, at certain times during the year. So perhaps um, that money then would kick in and, and then help to you know, get the ball rolling again, excuse the pun. Um, but I think your point as well about games being played at rugby league games, uh, excuse me, rugby league grounds is important because some of these were teams share with football teams uh, with the delays to the football season too and restarting that. There's, there's obviously going to be a clash of dates there, you would imagine, at times as well. I should, I should think there will, there will be, yeah. I would imagine that's why it rules out places like Wigan yes. and Huddersfield, which probably have the facilities 
but um, they're not owned by the, the clubs themselves. And um, I think using I think just using rugby league owned grounds is is a sensible a sensible option. Really, there aren't actually that many of them around. Are there? Let me think about it. There's quite a, a number of clubs use grounds that are owned by stadium companies or the yeah. council or um, or a shed with with football clubs um, that would probably rule Hull out as well which is a venue that, that could be used um, but right. yeah Leeds Leeds would certainly from our point of view on this side of the Pennines be a, a good spot it's it's relatively central um, say the facilities are good it's a secure stadium um, and I, I don't think teams like Castleford or, or Wakefield or Huddersfield would be too worried about playing um, playing games there on, on neutral ground. Um, the whole point about home advantage is it, it comes down to the crowd, doesn't it? Yes. Or, yeah. To a large extent, and there isn't going to be a crowd. It's not going to benefit either team, I don't think. So I'll say it's a workable solution. It's what they're doing in Australia. They're using limited number of venues there, and uh, that seems to be working quite well for them. I must admit, I haven't kept a close enough eye on Australia to say whether there is any kind of advantage for the home or away team. But I know when football came back in Germany, the, the away teams were winning more of the games than the home ones, weren't they, at first, I believe, because of, I think, partly for that reason that the crowds weren't behind the home team. But if the away team got an early goal, then they could shut up shop. And But with rugby, I think you, you're right anyway. I think that, you know, teams are... You know, Huddersfield v Leeds at Headingley or Huddersfield, it doesn't really matter if there's nobody there. You know, I don't think, you know, any, you know, there's any real advantage at all. Well, it's just a patch of grass at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the, the ground at Headingley is going to be in pretty decent condition when um, when the sport comes back, as you'd expect. It's, it's had a lot of work done to it over the um, three months that we've been off so far. It, was, it wasn't in the best of condition. Before um, before that, but it'll be it'll be perfectly fine in August, and um, there's no reason why why that can't be used. Obviously, it's a it also has facilities for the broadcasters if um, if needed. Yeah. Um, same applies to to Warrington Saints on the other side of uh, of the Pennines. I think they're both both good venues, decent facilities, good pitches, um, and I don't think anyone's going to have too much too many complaints about um, about it if those games have to be, pl- be played on uh, on neutral venues. One thing I did notice about the Sky coverage in Australia was this um, kind of fake crowd they've been putting over the top, uh, which seemed to me to work quite well. I like it. Yeah. yeah. Not to everybody's tastes, but I like it. You forget, you forget really that... Um, that you're watching a game that's played behind closed doors. The way they've done it is very clever. It the, is. the camera angles are kept tight where they can be, so you're not focusing on empty stands. Um, and the the crowd effects are, are very clever. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how they do it, but the the effects match up to yeah. um, to what's happening on the field. It's not like that when you see a clip on match of the day or something with um, with a crowd cheering dubbed onto it, and you just you just sort of get a generic roar. This the crowd gasp when um, when someone drops the ball. They they um, cheer if there's a, yeah. a disallowed try or something. It it 
does feel like you're watching a game with a crowd in there and there is a certain attraction to to being able to to sort of feel the impact and listen to what the players are saying at times but I think it's a better watch with this um, this fake crowd noise and I hope it's something that they're going to consider when um, when Super League gets back up and running. I know the Premiership are looking at it. Yeah, I'm for, sure they will be. I mean, I, I was only watching, say, 10 or 15 minutes of a game and I have to say that very quickly I forgot that there wasn't anyone there because you, <laughs> you just hear the, the row and as you say, I think as well, that it's very noticeable with these tight angles that you don't see the empty stands all the time. And uh, the flick of the coin for that for me is that my son is, or my eldest son is a big Arsenal fan and he was showing me some footage from a friendly they played on Saturday at the Emirates and you could hear every single word that the players were saying and I didn't really like that at all. You know, right down to somebody shouting, hit it now, you know, when somebody came to the edge of the penalty area or whatever. Yes. And, that, and it seemed very strange that I would, personally speaking, rather have the artificial um, fan noise and maybe the odd bit of, you know, somebody shouting from the touchlines or whatever, which you hear anyway during the course of a game, yeah. even when there is a crowd. Um, but I think overall, you know, again, like yourself, I have no idea how they do it. They must have some kind of computer system that lets them know when it, the ball's in a danger area or whatever, so the tempo or the noise goes up and then dies away when they're in midfield. But, you know, I, I was really impressed by it because... You know, on paper it sounds a bit gimmicky and a bit daft, but it it did work and it did add to it, and that that's that's what you want, really. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, I, I think it makes for a better uh, a better viewing experience. Yes, indeed. And you know, again, as you say, anything that helps get the contract uh, completed, uh, you know, can only be good for the game in the longer term as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just going on from there, uh, Peter, a bit of transfer news this way. I know there's not a great deal going on at the moment, as we keep saying, but a couple of Leeds players being linked with their old boss, Brian McDermott, over at Toronto Wolfpack. Yeah, that was my story from um, from the other day, or initially. Um, the Toronto are, are looking at Stevie Ward as a possible signing for 2021. Yes. And also um, Ryan Hall, who's currently playing for the Roosters in in Australia. Um, he's on a two-year contract. He's not played many games since he went out there at the start of 2019. It doesn't sound like he's going to be offered a new deal, so he'll probably come back to Super League. And, and they're after him as well, which I think would be a very good signing for, um, for Toronto. Um, and it's since emerged uh, that Richie Myler, the Leeds, I don't know what you, you yeah. was his Leeds utility player now um, halfback hooker and fullback he's, he's been playing this year um, he's also a target along with the Wigan prop Ben Flower so that suggests one that Toronto don't think they're going to be relegated this year no. um, and they're um, they're preparing for a, a strong campaign in, in 2021 There'll be a lot of people saying, well, how can they afford these signings? But obviously, that's um, that's their their decision. They were right up to the cap before um, the sport was suspended. They've brought in Callum Watkins since then, but um, Andy Akers is, is one player who's left. Uh, one or two of their current squad are going to be retiring or moving on. But I think they'd be, they'd be good signings for them. Obviously, Matt Dermott 
it looks like he's trying to bring in players that he knows from Leeds. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that works out. I'd personally be be very sorry if um, if Stevie Ward does leave Leeds. Um, he's out of contract at the end of this season, um, and it's sort of it's tricky for both parties, isn't it? Really, he's he's had such absolutely wretched luck with injuries. Um, he played six games last year. Um, a knee problem kept him out for most of the season. Um, played, made captain in the off-season, played in the first game of the year and, and got a concussion, which he's still struggling with. That's causing it an um, inner ear problem, which hasn't quite healed up yet, as far as I'm, I'm aware. Um, so, the Leeds rate him very highly. Obviously, they do. They would have made him captain if, if they didn't. And anyone can see he's a quality player. If he can stay on the field, he'll be a, an England international without a shadow of a doubt. But Leeds need a player that's um, the captain and that's on decent money to be playing every week. So I think they're facing a little bit of a dilemma um, from Ward's point of view. Maybe he feels like a change of scenery might um, bring about some new look. Who knows? Um, I hope it does because I say he's a, he's a quality player and He's good to watch when he's um, when he's fully firing. In terms of Ryan Hall, it would be nice, and he's getting on a bit now, 32, I think he is. Um, it would be nice to see him back at Leeds, but you'd think probably Toronto might be the better option for him in terms of um, what's probably going to be his last big contract. Um, but I think Hawley has still got a lot to offer. Um, he's one of my favourite wingers of the, the Super League era, Tr- terrific player, and um, he could certainly do a job if he came back to Leeds, but, but I think that he's likely to end up at, um, at Toronto. And Richie Myler um, had a, a tough few years at Leeds, but I, I, he's a player I like like a lot. I think he's unfairly criticised when he was playing at half-back, um, obviously at the end of last season. Leeds brought Luke Gale in, which um, wasn't exactly a show of confidence in, in Myler, but he stuck to his guns and he was in excellent form in the five matches that were played before the um, before the shutdown. He played at hooker and looked good. He played at fullback um, unexpectedly for the first time in his career and, and was really good. And I think he's got a terrific attitude. He's, um, he's a player who gives everything every week and um, I can understand him wanting to go somewhere where he's going to be first choice and where he can play his favourite position of halfback but um, I'd, I'd be sorry to see him leave Leeds as well because he's a, a much better player than um, than people give him credit for. Yeah, I think we can only assume that Brian McDermott's obviously helping to take some of that Leeds culture across to at Toronto as he builds the foundations for keeping him in the Super League long term. There's a couple of Leeds guys there already, isn't there? Um, Anthony Mullally and Brad Singleton and Callum Watkins is due to start playing for them when, when the game resumes. Uh, as you say, I mean, I, I can't bring to mind in my time watching Rugby League an unluckier player than Stevie Ward in terms of injuries. He just seems to have... An absolutely horrific run. Um, you know, the poor fella seems to get an injury, come back from it, and then he seems to either get 
the same thing again or a similar injury on the other side of his body, be it shoulder, knee or wherever. Yes. Um, but as you say, a, a great player and, you know, obviously Leeds produced, Leeds born, the kind of players that you want at your club. But as you say, on, on the money he's on and the fact that he's captain, you need him on the field. Yeah, um, it's a tough situation, isn't it? For him as well, I'm sure he doesn't want to leave. No. To leave Leeds. He's a Leeds lad, he, he loves it at the club, um, popular in the group, popular with the fans, but he needs to be playing and yeah. maybe, I don't know, would have changed hope, I don't know him. Um, maybe it would change his, his look, but um, there's no doubt that when he's fit and and playing well he's a he's a quality player and um it'll be a miss yeah. for Leeds. But as you say that Leeds will look at it and think, well, he's played seven games in the last season and a, a quarter. Um would we be better off giving um giving a, a contract to, to someone else? I don't know. That's that's obviously the, the discussions that's uh, that's going on in the, the background now. Yeah. But my feeling is if I had to put money on it, I, I think I, I can certainly see him playing for Toronto next um, next year. I hope not. I hope he stays at Leeds. But um, it's, it's it looks to me that, that like that's the way it's going to go. Uh, of the other two guys you mentioned, Ryan Hall, again his his record and his class speaks for itself. In my own personal opinion, I probably think he's he's had his time at Leeds. Um, some people say you should never go back as well. I don't know. But, you know, certainly could bring something to Toronto. There's no doubt about that and, and help them, as I said earlier, um, develop and put real foundations down in Super League. Richie Myler, again, the, the thing I liked about that guy, and, and you touched upon it as well, the fact they didn't throw his ties out of the pram when things went, when Leeds signed Luke Gale, he obviously took that on as a challenge and said, I'm going to show you. And, and, and as you say, in those first few games of the season, he was probably Leeds' best player, wasn't he? He was, he was superb and, and, and also showing his versatility as well, which perhaps people hadn't realised in the past. So again, I think he'd be a loss to the squad if he left Leeds. Um, you know, he'd certainly be welcome down at Wake. <laughs> and, you know, again, a you know, player I, I like to watch, Richie. Um, and somebody who obviously responds to a challenge, which is no bad thing in a rugby team either. Yeah, I've got a lot of time for him um, as a player and a, and a person. But you could understand why he would be looking to, to go somewhere where he can play play halfback and be first choice. You don't, nobody yeah. wants to be um, to be a bench player or to be a utility player, do they? Really, they want everyone wants to have a, a specific position and to be starting every week. And he'll certainly be doing that at, um, at Toronto if he goes there. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd certainly have him in, in my Leeds squad if um, if I had that option. Uh, and as you said as well, it'd be interested to see how they squeeze them all in under that tight salary cap. Maybe they need a salary tall hat, as some clubs have employed in the past, <laughs> where they can get more under that hat. But uh, that's for another day anyway. Maybe so. Uh, and again, in recent weeks, Peter, we've just been going through the positions in the team and having a look at a few of our favourite players who've played in those positions down the years. And uh, this week it was the turn of the centres. Um, again, we haven't much 
contemporary to talk about, so it'd be maybe nice to have a look at a few players down the years who've impressed us or we've enjoyed watching or have contributed to the clubs, both locally and further afield. Yeah, well, Le- Leeds-wise, um, I mean, Leeds have had some great centres over the years. Um, people like Fred Harris in the 1930s who um, formed a, a really good partnership with his namesake winger, Eric Harris, who's Leeds' leading try scorer of all time. Um, Lewis Jones, one of Leeds' all-time greats in the, the 50s and 60s, played in the first championship winning team in in um, 61. More recently, Sid Hines, yeah. who um, was the club's first player coach, um, had a great career as a player, um, had a spell as player coach, and then, and then did really well, won a lot of trophies as... Um, as coach, I think he was unbeaten in finals as a as a coach. Was said um, lives in Australia now. Still comes um, to matches occasionally. Gets over to to Headingley. Was here last year for um, a Hall of Fame induction. It was good to see him and Les Dill, who oh, yeah, I think was a, a terrific Super League <laughs> player. Les Dill, strong and quick and and clever and skillful. Um, he'd have, he'd have been a real big hit in the, the full-time era, I think. And then more recently, um, Brad Godden was a player I really liked um, early in the Super League era. I think he played 98-99, just a couple of seasons with Leeds and Aussie, but quality player. Um, but the one um, everyone, I think, would associate with Leeds in the, the Super League era is Keith Senior, who was just a a fantastic yeah. player, strong and, and quick, um, very powerful, could score tries from, from a long way out, could create tries for people, um, very durable, played over 500 games in his um, Billy career. I've actually you know, plugged for a piece in the paper. I've spoken to him about his favourite game. That will be um, in the Evening Post online on, on Thursday. Um, and and he was sort of Mr Super League yes. for, uh, for quite a time. He played for Sheffield in the first ever Super League game at Paris in '96, um, and was very nearly ever present up until 2011 when um, he did his ACL and, uh, and that unfortunately finished his career. But he, he'd be... Um, he'd been one of my centres in an all-time Super League um, 13, without a shadow of a doubt. More recently, of course, um, Conrad Horrell's great fun to watch. Yeah. Um, drops a little bit of ball. Um, it's a little bit erratic, but he's he's just such a character. And um, when he's running the ball in hard, he's very difficult to stop. And, of course, Callum Watkins, who, as we've said, has joined Toronto for next year. Um, outstanding British centre, um, his career's hit a sort of a road bump over the last couple of seasons, but hopefully he can get back fit and, um, and enthusiastic and firing for Toronto. And um, he's still certainly got a lot to offer in Super League and at test level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you say about Conrad Hurrell, he, he reminds me a bit of Viner Colo. You never quite know what he's going to do and how to, if anyone's going to get hold of him. Um, but you know, he always plays with a smile on his face, and uh, you know, as you say, scored some great tries and set a few up for Ash Handley as well. Um, yeah, that, 
Leeds has left signs very strong, isn't it, with Hanley and um, Yeah, and yeah Connie, a good bloke, and like you say, plays with a smile on his face. He's good with the fans, he's got time for the fans, he loves the atmosphere um, of Super League, home or away, and um, he's just a, a good person to have around the place, I think. Um, certainly a signing that's added a lot to um, a lot to Leeds over the last couple of seasons. Yeah. Yeah, say for myself, I've, a bit like last week, I've just had a look at a few players down down the times that, that I enjoyed playing, uh, sorry, playing, watching, play, should I say. And Keith, obviously, is another one. Keith Senior, I can't actually believe it's that long since he's fi- he finished, 2011. It really doesn't seem that long ago. But again, that strong leads left side, Keith and Ryan Hall, um you know, either scoring himself or putting Ryan in. And another guy I like for Leeds who played in the centres who also showed his versatility, Joel Moon. Um yeah. moved yeah. into the halves, which and, and did a brilliant job there as well. Um maybe someone we look at again in a couple of weeks' time. But you know, Joel Moon a, a silky player and again probably I think am I right in saying he probably filled the gap after Keith went. Um, well, they struggled for a little while at that centre, didn't they? And Carl Abler, who was a who was a second rower, fitted in very effectively. But but yeah, Moon's arrival was um, was very important around that um, that time. He obviously played in a couple of grand final, um, a couple of grand final wins for Leeds, and, and did a fantastic job. Yeah, uh, fin- finished his career as you say as a, a standoff, but he was a lot more effective playing in. Um, playing in the centre, no doubt about that. Then, uh, going back in time, uh, no Wakefield fan would forgive me if I didn't mention Neil Fox. <laughs> Obviously, I can't really remember Neil playing, but again, his record speaks to himself. The all-time record points scorer, 6,220 points in a near 25-year career, which ended in 1979. And obviously still goes to the Wakefield Games. Um Sadly, the only surviving Fox brother now with uh, Peter and Don, of course, his two brothers also played in game at the highest level. Um, going on from there in the eight, Gary Connolly at Saints and Wigan and later at Leeds, I always thought he was a fantastic player. Never seen, He wasn't a particularly big player, but a brilliant pair of hands, um, won the lot with Wigan. Guy I always loved to watch playing Gary Connolly. Um, seemed to he could ta- he could tackle hard and he and he took a tackle and created countless tries for those great Wigan teams. And then across the road at St Helens, Jamie Lyon, the Australian who came over for a couple of years, two thousand and five, two thousand and six, helped Saints win everything and then went back to us. Um, he had a real baby face. Seemed to recall Jamie, but a, a real asset in that St Helens team at that time. He won the Man of Steel and. Players Player of the Year and the Year Saints did the treble, the cup and the grand final and the League Leaders' Shield. Lyon was a key player in that and I know Saints were devastated when he went back, weren't they? Um, yeah. A great player. A couple more recently, uh, Wakefield's current centre, Bill Tupu, uh, Gay and another guy who seems very hard to stop and creates a lot of tries for our man Tom Johnston, who we talked about last week. Um, Castleford wise, Richie Blackmore, 
I think we've spoken about before, Michael Shenton, the current captain, and been a great player for Castleford down the years. Um, Paul Newlovers, again, another player. Started off at Featherston, didn't he, in a huge transfer to St. Helens. And another strong running centre. Scored a lot of tries, set a lot up. Um, seemed to disappear from the game. I always thought Paul might go on and stay in the game, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think he did. He just retired and, uh, and went away. Uh, so just a few there from me anyway. Two. I think there's, I'm pleased you mentioned some Castleford, um, Castleford players. We've been overlooking Castleford a little bit on the Yeah. I've just been flicking through some, some reference books. You've been talking, I mean, Castleford's some great centres over the years. Um, one of the first, Arthur Atkinson, who played from 1926 to 1942, <laughs> which is a fair old hole, 431 appearances, 157 tries, 230 goals. Yeah. Um, a lot of people I still hear his name mentioned around the jungle every um, every now and then. He was one of the a member of one of Castleford's first um, first teams. Um, I think he played in their first season in nineteen twenty six. He's he's um, a very famous player around um, around Castleford. Um, you mentioned Richard Blackmore, um, more recently Tony Marchant was um, was obviously a, a very good um, player for Castleford in the the 80s and um, I think he had a spell back at the club just before um, before Super League began um, Adrian Vowles played a little yeah. bit at centre for um, for Castleford although better known as a, a loose forward and sometimes standoff I'm sure we'll talk about him yeah. later on and um, I think John Joyner also played yes. in the sentence yeah. for um, Bass before similarly he moved to um, to standoff and, and loose forward Um and obviously also had a spell as um, as coach at the start of the um, the summer era. Um, I think he was coach of the year, in, in fact, in um, in one of the final championship seasons. Um, I always thought it was a, a great shame that that um, he left Castleford in '97 when um, when they were struggling a little bit and, and sort of dropped out of out of the game. And I think that's just that's a shame. That um, that he didn't have a longer career as um, as a coach, but um, a terrific player and um, someone else who, who who sort of moved through the ranks from from the centre to stand off and then eventually loose forward. Yeah. Um, all round footballing footballing skills and um, someone else who would have been a terrific player in the full time era in um, Super League with ten metre defences and and so on. Yeah, so I think we've said before, but when you look through these lists and jog your memory and some of the players and you look through the records, the versatility of the players is incredible. Um, you know, the, the different positions they've played and, you know, guys you could mention as full-back centres and wingers or whatever, or those who move from the backs into the forwards and so on, like Carl Ablett. And, uh, you know, still do a, a great job wherever they're asked to play. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. I say it's it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Versatility. It's like um, I mean, Leeds have got one of the most versatile players in the game at the moment. In Liam Suck, who can play 
virtually anywhere. Yes. But that makes him a very, very good man to have in the squad. But I'm sure he'd, he'd just like to nail down a regular position and, and be able to play every week um, in whatever position that is, whether it's second row, standoff, centre or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's... It, it's uh, a blessing and a curse, isn't it? The ability to play more or less anywhere. Um, but, um, yeah, I, th- I think the way the game is now, a lot of positions are interchangeable. And they yeah. don't have sort of old-fashioned ball handling loose forwards so much nowadays, which is which is a pity, although there are one or two of them um, still around. Often the 13 is used as an extra prop. Um, you get scrum halves who interchange with with hookers and um, centres who swap around with with second rows and, and that sort of thing. I think that detracts from the game a little bit as a as a spectacle, personally. But um, you can see obviously why a coach would want want players who can cover more than one position. Yes. Yeah, they're not the biggest of squads, either. So I suppose if you've a guy who can play in a few positions, that does help. But I, I would agree with you in the terms of, you know, 13 guys all the same size doing the same thing isn't as attractive to me as, you know, a, a crafty hooker or scrum half of old. But that's how the game's developed and I suppose they can only play with the style of the game at this current time. Uh, Liam Sutcliffe is a good call. I'd, I'd forgotten about him because I think as well, uh, the problem with the versatility is it's almost... You're inclined almost to forget them, aren't you? Because you think of Liam, well, he can play there, he can play there, he can play on the wing, he can play in the centres. And a bit taken for granted almost, in inverted commas, uh, compared to a guy who has a regular nailed-on position. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay, Peter. Well, that was another interesting chat. And as we often say, if anyone's got any favourite players of their own they'd like to mention to us, that you can do by getting in touch with us in the usual ways, either through my Twitter account, which is at Richard Byron YEP, or Peter's, which is at Peter Smith YEP. I think that's all time for now, really, Peter. So once again, thank you for your time and comments. And just to remind everyone that you can get the very latest news, uh, both on the coronavirus, rugby league and sport in general, from our website, which is www.yorkshireeveningpost.co.uk. And also from at YEP Sports Desk and mine and Peter's aforementioned Twitter handles. So all that's left for me to do is thank you all for listening again. Thank Peter for his time again and hopefully we'll be back soon.